don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrabble it. How they win that game today. There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dog that's in your lap. Something. So anyway, Howard, so I I wanted to have you on for, you know, we'll get to the Dame stuff, obviously, because that's the thing there is to talk about. But I heard you on another podcast yesterday that kind of jogged my memory that you actually might have written back in 2021 at Sports Illustrated. We'll put the link in the show notes. But you might have written the first national profile of Scoot Henderson back before anybody really knew who he was. Like, I think most of the real hype around him started this past fall, like about a year ago when he played the exhibition game with, it was the G League Ignite against Wamby's French team. And that's when people kind of started really talking about him. You wrote about him and spent some time with him a year before that. So let me ask you this. How did he first come onto your radar? Oh, so th- the funny thing is that, so I, I did do a, a huge, I don't know, 3,500 or so plus word uh, feature on Scoot Henderson for Sports Illustrated in the fall of 2021 Mm -hmm. um a couple months before that actually uh my buddy jonathan abrams had profiled scoot on the day that scoot declared he was going to do the g league ignite route and skip his senior year of high school so um and that was in the new york times of course uh that that jonathan wrote it so there was the, the i think where it got on where scoot became on my radar was jonathan's story in the times in maybe the spring i think of 2021 um, and then I connected with some people who were working with, with him and his family. Um, and we set up this deeper dive feature where, yeah, I spent a ton of time. Um, I went down to Marietta, Georgia, where the Hendersons live and visited them in their home. Um, and also at the family owned gym, uh, that's, uh, you know, a short drive away from there, spent a couple of days in Marietta, spent a ton of time with Scoot, with, um, his parents, Several of his siblings, uh, there, there are many. Uh, the, you, Big you, will, family. you will, you will hear about the, the Henderson Seven often because it's it's the seven uh, yeah. siblings. Um, they are all absolutely wonderful. Reporting this story was one of the great joys of doing this story. You know, as we all say in this business, like writing is torture, right? It just doesn't matter totally. how long you've been doing this. Writing is torture. Um, but uh, you know, the interview process for a story depending on who you're writing about and what the subject is and where it takes you is often the most enjoyable part and that was certainly the case with scoot and his family because the way i saw it in 2021 and as you noted this is where way before he's really on everyone's radar he hasn't he has yet to play a game for the ignite this is the summer of 2021 he's a few months away from moving from georgia to walnut creek california in the bay area where he's going to play for the ignite here he is he's, he's 17 years old at the time He's going to be one of the youngest ever to turn pro. He's skipping his senior year of high school. He's graduated early with a 3.5 GPA. He you know, accelerated his studies so that he could do this. He's made this, this dramatic um, and unprecedented move. And so I'm meeting with him in late June, early July in Georgia. And then I visited him again when he did move to Walnut Creek in September to go kind of catch up and, and get a sense of what it was like to, to see Scoot in that environment in this very uh blase apartment complex across the street from a target in in where in downtown walnut creek whatever downtown walnut creek really 
is. Monarchy is a very nice, nice little community, by the way. And but it's just it, it. There's nothing distinctive, and he's and he's and he's three thousand miles from home, basically. Um, but, and he's complaining already about the art on the walls being just like the pre, you know, put in stuff. That was the lead of the story. And, I, and I'd seen his his childhood bedroom, right? I'd visited his home, so I saw like he had his walls all decked out, and you know, posters and inspirational words, and and this and that, and just a lot more color. And yeah, he's now in this very corporate looking apartment in this just basic apartment complex on a on a whatever main street or something in walnut creek mm -hmm. and so yeah he's he's saying like yeah i got like i gotta get some stuff up on the walls and whatever try to make it feel more homey like here he's like again yeah, he's 17 years old and he's he's away from everybody um that he you know his family his friends everybody it was a very it's a bold move it was a bold move and um so yeah that was that was my initial introduction to scoot and to uh, his his family was just spending that time with them down in Georgia and, and talking about the whole process, the decision to, to turn pro, the decision to make it the G League Ignite, the decision to skip his senior year of high school, um, you know, all, all, all of that. And, and, and I think one of the things that struck me right off the bat was like, this wasn't just Scoot making this decision. It was it was the family. They do everything. It's a very tight knit family. It's a big family, and they're, but they're very tight knit. And they they discuss and debate and wrangle over everything and so his decision was their decision and right up to to right up including the fact that when he moved his brother cj was going to come with him uh to to be kind of uh you know support on, on various levels and live with him and then his mom crystal and a couple other siblings were going to live in a house up the road so that the the, the hendersons for the first time were going to be kind of split between marietta and and uh and walnut creek so all, all of that to me was just really fascinating um and just endearing the way the family kind of operated well you caught him also at a really interesting time because there have been a there have been a few big scoot profiles now that have been written and in some cases i've had the writers of those profiles on the show i you know our mutual friend and former br colleague Miran fader profiled him last fall like right after the games against Wemby, where he first started blowing up and getting on people's radars and then like a month or two ago i had robbie callen from up rocks on who wrote about him right after the end of this past ignite season while he was preparing for the draft process but this time that you caught him it was kind of a he was like in the middle of making this transition from you know being this hot high school prospect in georgia to playing against professionals but it was also just kind of an interesting time for the decision that he made because and as you you know you go into a lot of this in the story and you know you detail a lot of kind of how the landscape was shifting it used to be just you know okay the top prospect you know the, the top high school players you're gonna go to one of the big schools like duke or kentucky or whatever play there for one year so that you meet the age limit be one and done go to the draft but then you know you you you, you talk about how he turned down an offer from a team in China when he was like 16 or like overtime elite made him an offer. And this was also like at the same time that NIL uh, started really becoming a thing in college where there's maybe more money to be made there as opposed to it being more of an under the table thing before. But what he did was kind of unprecedented, especially at the time because there had been, you know, th this was the fall of 21. And so the 21 draft, you know, you had Jalen Green go number two overall. And then you had Jonathan Kaminga also go in the top 10 in that draft. So, it comes, so like there was already a little bit of proof of like guys could go to the G League Ignite and then be a lottery pick. 
but nobody had done it the way he had done it yet where he was doing uh you know a two-year deal and he was committing to spending two years playing in the g league and i'm kind of curious to know what your kind of impressions of that going into meeting him were and then like when you came away from it thinking like okay how's this gonna work it's funny because you know we always see this through our own um prism our own values in a way and all i could think when i first uh just knew of scoot as a as a name and a and a player who was going to make this jump was man i couldn't do that if i when i was 17 i wouldn't skip my senior year <laughs> totally of high school not. like i don't know i don't know looking back if i even really liked high school to be honest but uh you know like it was it was fine it was a mixed bag but i don't think i would have been bold enough no matter what my particular talents uh might have been or not um skipping your senior year of high school and then moving 3000 miles away it's a, it's a, that's a big deal. That's a big leap for, for a young person. And so part of what struck me in the decision that he made and then in going down and meeting Scoot and his family was he is mature beyond his years. Like this wasn't, you know, for, for me, it would have been a big, like, you know, scary thing. It, it didn't, it, for him, it was just, no, this is the next logical thing. This is the right thing. This is to him. It was, it was like, it was almost obvious. Of course and he I'm felt like he was this. ready for it. Yeah, and I'm saying like, oh, but you're gonna miss, yo, know, whatever your senior prom, homecoming, whatever. And he's like, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. He's like, and and he's, you know, he's a he's a pretty reserved kid, or at least he was at that time. Again, we're talking now two years ago, and I'm I'm sure like anybody from 17 to 19, you know, there's a lot of growth in that time, um, personally, professionally, otherwise. But he was he was a really reserved kid, um, and but but he has this this, this quiet confidence off the court on the court there's no there's no quiet about right. it right you see it the, the 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 audacity in his game is 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 apparent but off the court he's he's really low key and he's not this big personality who's going to fill the room a lot of his siblings are big personalities who fill the room and you can kind of see it's fun to watch family dynamics that way right like in certain families there are the people there the, the kids who are more outspoken and the ones who maybe are more the wallflowers and partially because their siblings are already so outspoken right you find your place in the pecking order and um and and scoot um pretty pretty reserved but there was no uh doubt about the decision he made like to him it was I have a goal. My goal is to play in the NBA. My goal is to be a star in the NBA. He already knows he has the talent. He already has been dominant uh, in, 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 at the high school level, and he's being recruited by major universities. And as you noted, he had an offer from China, and he could have gone overseas, and he could have gone to overtime elite. And to him, it was, well, what's the best path to the NBA? And to him, the decision was, well, it's the G League Ignite. They're NBA-affiliated. I'm going to ha- be, you know, surrounded by by uh, players, some of whom are, are also, uh, you know, young prospects who don't want to go the college route, but who are a year older than him. Um, some, you know, they always have some veterans on the, the team as well, guys who have maybe played in the NBA or played in the G League for multiple years. I to mean, him, that was the best incubator. And it allowed him to stay, of course, in the U.S. as well. And Overtime Elite was brand new then too. So maybe, you know, this this felt like a little bit more, there was more of a track record with the G League by then than, than with OTE. And so, um, but I, I, yeah, I was just really struck by, by how confident he was in his decision. He knew exactly what he was doing, the, the why, the how. And, and when I'm asking about, well, what about, you know, the things you miss out on even academically, he's like, you know, he, he did accelerate and graduated early with, again, with a 3.5 GPA, but also he was, ex- he was the one explained to me, oh, well, part of the G League Ignite program is 
there are these classes and in, in life skills and personal finance and, and this and that. And so he was, he was very much interested in and, and valued the idea that he needs to prepare for life as well. Um, and that this was not just a decision to go play for a particular league, but that there was a holistic approach that again, he and, and his family, I think really appreciated, but, um, but yeah, I, it, it's just, just, just really super confident. Um, and I, I'm always admired guy, people like that who just know, especially from a young age, exactly what they want and how they want to get there. And then are willing to actually put, cause that's the thing you hear about Scoot is also just like, he puts in the work, you know, you, you, you say that in his, you know, in the story, you talk to Jason Hart, his coach. One thing I thought was interesting that you brought up in the story, also just on the subject of the decisions that, you know, the, the decision between, you know, going to college or going to one of these other places, you, you bring up that a couple of his sisters played in college and had knee injuries and then they kind of saw you know once these once these girls were injured and were not like uh you know get, probably going to be you know able to go pro because of those injuries or whatever else that the system just kind of discarded them and i think you know it, you made it sound like scoot kind of looked at that and was like yeah i don't know even even though like you know i'm a five-star recruit i could go to these you know i could probably still get drafted this is probably not the route that i want to go because i saw how that system kind of did other members of my family i thought that was real interesting yeah, so um, three of his older sisters, uh, Diamond, China, and Onyx, uh, all had career-altering or career-ending uh, knee injuries while they were playing in college. And, you know, I spoke to each of them. I, I spoke to, uh, you know, almost the entire family in the course of reporting that story. Um, and, and they, you know, they were really passionate on, on that topic, like that the NCAA just kind of chews you up and spits you out. They're not there for you. They're not, if you, if you get hurt, and you're no longer useful to the college you're playing for. That's it. it. It it's it's over for you. And so, I don't know if that was the most important factor or consideration as the family discussed where he would go and and what route to choose. Uh, but it was absolutely a really important one. And and NIL, if you look back, it was like I think it was like July first of 2021 that NIL basically came to be officially. Um, I was there in their home when that happened. And so it was really interesting. It underscored it. And I think it, one of his siblings even had said to me at one point, one of his sisters had said like, you know, that, that like part of this is Scoot. Scoot is like, and it, it obviously it's not just Scoot, but Scoot and others who have taken these alternate routes was pushing the NCAA uh, in this direction, was pushing policy in this direction because you're losing talent if you're not giving them any uh, means to make money while they are, um, you know, in, in, in preparation for, for their professional careers. And so the colleges were going to lose out, especially, you know, with basketball players choosing all these different routes. Um, but yeah, the, the, the family's experience with the NCAA certainly, I think left them a bit jaded about the way that the college system uh, uses and discards talent. Did you stay in touch with them with him or with the family after the story came out? Uh, a little bit. Um, you know, Scoot was uh, kind of recruited by the NBA to do some um, draft, uh, I think some NBA TV work maybe, and some other stuff with the NBA in sure. 2022. So again, he's now one year removed from when he will be draft eligible. And they brought him to New York to kind of make the rounds, do some promotion and and, and do some, I think, some on-camera stuff. Uh -huh. And so uh, I caught up with him again, did a podcast with him. 
Um, and uh, just just to kind of you know one year later catch up. This was June was of twenty twenty two. Was this still at SI? Yes, this is while I was still okay. at Sports Illustrated. I have to go back and listen. To yeah, that. so that would be on on the crossover podcast. Okay. Um, and uh, so I chatted with him and, and saw uh, Crystal, his mom, again um, during uh, during that week when they were back here uh, in New York. Um, and then since then, not much, but uh, on draft night, because, again, I live in Brooklyn. The draft is in my backyard at Barclays Center. Um, and uh, I wasn't working on anything in particular that night, but I wanted to kind of poke around the draft and just see some people and, and say hello to folks and, and, and whatever. Um, and so I, I popped into Scoot's press conference after he, you know, had been, been, uh, drafted and, you know, they, they shuttle everybody to their particular press conference rooms. And, um, when I got the microphone and asked him a question, I think about the whole awkwardness at that moment of, did he say what up back? <laughs> he did not. I, I don't think he's aware of that particular, uh, feature of, of, uh, uh, NBA media. Um, but I asked, I did ask him something about the whole awkwardness of, of the Blazer situation. Are you expecting to go and play with Damian Lillard? This is before Dames uh, made his, his request slash demand slash whatever right. it is. Um, and when Scoot saw me, like, I was, he just broke his big smile. He's like, oh, my guy, what's up? Whatever. It was, it was really, it was, it was very cool. It was very endearing. It was, it was nice uh, to just kind of see that moment of recognition. And then, uh-huh. um, and I hadn't seen him in a year at that point because I, I was not at those games against Wembenyama in Vegas. Um, so I literally had not seen him since we did the podcast one year prior to that. Uh, and then when he came out of the press conference, I caught up with him in the hallway briefly just to, you know, say hello, wish him well, congratulate him, that kind of thing. But, but that's, you know, that's, that's the kind of, you know, person he is like, he's, I think he really appreciated how much time I spent trying to get to know him and his family and visiting them with them in Georgia. And, um, that I, you know, sought him out for the podcast, you know, a year later that I sought him out on draft night. Like he's somebody who appreciates, I think those just kind of simple human, you know, uh, gestures. And, um, so that was, that was kind of a, a, a fun moment there. And, you know, now I, I can't wait to see him actually play in NBA games. Um, there's, there's something I always say, like, I've been doing this for a long time, as you know, and, and, you know, uh, you know, covered the Lakers for a long time, covered the Knicks for a long time, you know, been last 10 years, been more of a national writer, but, um, you get to know players over time in the NBA, and by the time they get to the NBA, they're you know fairly polished for the most part. And especially once they they reach stardom, you know there's a certain amount of just kind of they know the routine and they're a little jaded and maybe a little bit controlled, whatever. I don't usually meet guys on the way up, and I always say I've got no emotional investment in this job, right? I don't root for players, I don't root for teams, I don't root sure. for anybody. I root for good stories. I right. I, I just cover the league. Um, but there's a human element here where when you get to know somebody, and especially if you were fortunate enough in this case to get to know somebody before he actually hit the spotlight, before Scoot became Scoot, um, you find yourself, you know, having a little bit more of almost a little personal investment, right? Like I, I, I really enjoyed getting to know him and his family and, as a, and, and really liked them a lot. Just very much enjoyed my time with them. So, yeah, there is some part of me now that is, is I'm watching Scoot more closely than I will watch Brandon Miller, Right. Right. Um, or even then Wembenyama on some level. I've never met Wembenyama. I don't know him at all. Um, and, I, you know, I don't really truly know Scoot, right? You know, it was a few days of time that we spent uh, hanging out and chatting for that story. But um, he's very easy to root for. And I think that's what your listeners are going to find as they get to know him and watch him. 
yes, he's he's an explosive athlete. Yes, he's he's supremely confident. He's strong. He's got just I think a great head for the game. And he's got all the requisite intangibles that you want, right? Um, I've seen plenty of, of great talents come and go who maybe never quite lived up to the hype, who were other high picks. And the difference can come down to all kinds of things. And sometimes it's just luck, right? The, the circumstances or health or injuries, all these things. But a lot of times it's just about whether guys really truly love the game. It is the biggest separator. We heard this twice earlier this year. DeMar DeRozan on his podcast and Pat Beverly once on his podcast where they both flagged this very thing where – they, as players, are saying this. Forget whether I, as a media person, right. says it. They, as players, are saying not everybody loves the game. And not everybody loves it at the same level. Not everybody has the same passion for the game. And so that's what I often find myself looking for is like, does, you know, all right, here's all these talented players. Well, what's the difference between the two guys in the lottery who really make it and the eight or so who are just kind of hanging out, have decent careers, or maybe wash out? It, it often really is love for the game and passion for the game. And Scoot has that. So as your as your listeners, as Blazers fans are getting to know him, I think that's what they're going to love the most. You know, like I don't want to compare him to, to Dame. And it, and it really is such a, an awkward thing where it's like you were you're you're saying goodbye sometime soon. Probably think we think maybe kind of sort of we'll probably. That, but yeah. <laughs> um, and, and he's a franchise legend and an NBA legend and an all timer. But I think they're going to find it's very easy to, to gravitate toward and embrace Scoot because he, he brings all the right things to the table. It's the right value system. You know, um, he, he, he came up in a family where you know, like, like working hard and, and, and doing, doing, you know, living up to your responsibilities, you're, you're, you're just being accountable. Um, you could see it again, even in the short time I spent with them, you could see how they hold each other accountable and how they look after each other. And I think Scoot, just the way he's wired his upbringing and, and just this true passion for the game. He, he, he's another one of these guys who came up on Kobe and admires Kobe um, to, to the degree where you, he sometimes sounded, when I was talking to him, he sometimes sounded like Kobe the way he talked about <laughs> wanting to embrace the grind and this kind of stuff. Right. Um, you're, the, the Blazers fans are going to love all that about him. Like, you know, I, I, I would never try to project what a guy's going to become. I'm not, I'm not a scout. I'm not going to tell you that a guy's going to be a 10-time All-Star or an MVP or a champion or anything, but... I, I, I think I know people and I, I, I like the sense I have of him is that he's the real deal when it comes to the fact that he loves the game and has a passion for it and is going to work hard to maximize his abilities. And on some level, that's all you can ask for. You know, the rest takes care of itself. That's interesting that you bring up kind of the similarities and differences between him and Dame. Like I, I, I kind of get what you're saying as far as like that, you know, they both kind of have that approach, but to me, like their personalities, at least, you know, I know Dame obviously quite well because I've been covering the team for years and I don't really know Scoot that well at all yet outside of, you know, press conferences and the little, what little time I've been able to get with him since the draft, but they, they do have kind of different, like, I think, I think at their core, they seem like they're about the same things, but their energies are like very different. Maybe it's just oh, yeah. because now, you know, now Dame is, very, you know, at, at the point that he's at in his career, and he's a lot more like matter of fact about stuff. Whereas Scoot, I've said this before, he's not, he doesn't say as many outrageous stuff, things as like, in like crazy, like quotable things as Anthony Edwards does, but their energies are similar to me. Hmm. I don't know if that's a sense you've got. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think um, the way they might uh, conduct themselves on the court and also just physique, yeah. um, Scoot and, and Anthony Edwards, uh, I, I think that's a, a interesting comp um just in terms of just the, the basic outline um 
but yeah, personality wise, yeah, I mean that's look, what I'm you know, talking about. I've yeah, not Dame, as players, but personality wise, Dame, Dame, yeah, Dame, Dame has always been very uh, uh, chatty and and great with the media and fans because he's this outgoing personality. Scoot is not that outgoing. He's 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 a little bit more reserved. I think it takes him a little bit more time to kind of get warmed up and comfortable, um, and. You know, so I, I would I would not compare Dame and Scoot's personalities, especially on day one. Like, give Scoot right. some time to get acclimated to this 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 searing spotlight. Um, but where I where I would draw the comparison for the sake of again the fan base is in the same way that they really appreciated how Dame was all about the right things. Mm-hmm. Scoot's all about the right things, and I don't think he's ever going to disappoint them on on that level, right? Like he's he seems like the consummate teammate, consummate. Uh, you know, guy who wants to be coached um, and who's who's going to, you know, bring everything he's got every night. And and so that's the part where I think there's a parallel with Dame, because Dame was you, you, you never questioned his basketball values. Right. I mean, one thing I've loved about Scoot, you know, I, I you know, since he got drafted here, I started following him on social media and like he posts on his Instagram story all the time and all of his posts are like some guys post like their own highlights and stuff. You know, you see guys like post like their own stuff. All I ever see Scoot post is like his summer, like, like he was posting like during the, uh, during like the earlier rounds of the FIBA world cup, he was posting like, uh, Dwap Reith, who's this Australian kid who was on the Blazers summer league team. He was playing on the Australian team. He was posting like his Australia highlights and like, he's posting like different, like his former G League Ignite teammates, he's just like posting Dyson Daniels stuff, or like maybe like kids he went to high school with who are football prospects now. He's like posting yeah. their stuff. Like all he posts is other people's stuff. Like he seems like he's more about hyping up like his teammates and his friends and stuff than he is about like you know the look at me. Like I'm just gonna post every one of my own highlights or every time House of Highlights posts one of my clips. Like I, I just I enjoy that. Yeah. No, I I think I think that um, I had I had not seen that. I don't. Uh, spend that much time on Instagram, but um, it doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I think there's there's a humility there, and also just a kind of generosity of spirit, where I could totally see that he would rather post highlights of teammates and friends than than of of himself. Or hey, check out my summer workout. Look at me grinding. <laughs> right. I mean, he he does post some of that, but he, honestly, even like the stuff about himself that he's that he's posted is more just you know about the the. Uh, ODD festival that he kind of he put on this I, I don't really know too much about it but like it's kind of related to the next play 360 thing the the camp that his family runs it's also a stem lab that you talk about but he had like this convention that he had in Georgia maybe a couple weeks ago where it's like you know some of it was basketball stuff but he also was like I want to spotlight like local artists and local creators in Georgia and just like have you know give them a platform it seems like he is really about all that stuff I think that's going to play well in Portland too once his family gets like settled here yeah for sure and you're going to see all of them by the way like there's okay. you you like that it's a it's a big family they they and they are again very tight knit and very much um they they you know, I, I don't know how many games they went to uh, when, when he was with the Ignite, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a contingent of them at all times. Uh, I fully expect they will have uh, their own cheering section uh, well stocked um, when he starts his, his, uh, his career officially there for them.